This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 11th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. In big cities, parking spots for locals are an underpriced asset. And like many assets controlled by the government, even homeowners might need to pay more for their on-street parking. Cato visiting fellow Ike Brannon makes his case for free parking's high cost on transit. I work at the Cato Institute, which should come as no surprise to anyone listening to this. Uh, and I'm given essentially a choice between a some money toward transit or a parking space. Parking, parking is, of course, limited, but we have it here in our building. And uh, so what's wrong with that? problem in uh, a big city like Washington, D.C. is we have made this implicit choice that uh, – that free parking should have some kind of primacy over everything else. And the reality, it's a point made elsewhere, is that free parking is not free. It comes with an enormous opportunity cost. And in the regulation article that uh, just came out, I try to point out a uh, an opportunity cost of free parking that people haven't hit on. And that's the fact that in Washington, D.C., what free parking has done is it's caused our mass transit system, specifically the bus system that, that services, mainly the low-income people, it's caused it to operate much slower than it otherwise would. What's more, it's created a situation where we have lots of people fighting every single new development in major residential areas in Washington, D.C., solely because they don't want more competition for their nearly nearly free on-street parking. What other cities uh, deal with a similar kind of thing, which you're describing on-street parking is being severely underpriced. You buy a permit, you get a parking spot, and you can park pretty much anywhere along the street. And uh, that's a problem if you believe that uh, the market should should deal with uh, the price of parking. But what other cities deal with this? So basically, this is how every single major metropolitan area deals with parking. They, If you live in that area and, and can show that you have residency there and you own a car, you can purchase a permit. And in most of these places, the cost of the permit is uh, well below the market price. So um, what I suggested in my article is let's do a little thought experiment. Let's say we took all the public spaces in my neighborhood. And, uh, I live in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. Uh, and let's say we were going to auction off those 350 spaces. That is, the first 350, 350 highest bids, those people will get a permit to buy on-street parking, and everybody else is going to have to buy private off-street parking or not have a car. Uh, the price of that would be approximately $2,000 to $3,000, and that's based on the fact that that's what it costs right now if you want to buy your own parking space in that neighborhood for a year. And instead, we charge $25. In fact, we're charging almost, almost not quite 1% of what the market price is for this thing. So as a result, uh, parking is uh, insane. It's impossible for people to find. Uh, you need a lot of luck. You need to park illegally. And, uh, and the other problem that's created is that every time we have a new development in our neighborhood, people fight it tooth and nail. And they fight it and no small part because they know that these people will bring cars and they'll be fighting them for the parking spaces they want. What do you say is the impact on transit of this severe underpricing of parking in cities? So in Washington, D.C., what we've made this, in, this implicit trade-off that if we can figure out a way to jam a new parking space into a spot, 
we do so. And so um, what I do is I kind of take the reader through uh, my uh, daily bus commute. So I live in Adams Morgan. I work downtown, Washington, D.C. I don't take the bus anymore, and I don't take the bus because of these implicit trade-offs. And so uh, on this typical route, there are three or four different spots where if they didn't have that one additional car jammed in, the bus could easily get through. Uh, the intersection without too much trouble. Instead, we jam one more car in there, and it delays the bus on a good day. It delays it by five or 10 seconds. But on occasion, if one more person tries to make that illegal park there just for a few minutes, it can delay a bus for five or 10 minutes. And the, the, what, really, uh, what really makes this galling is that in the three or four spots where I note that this occurs on this bus line, um, each one of these is within a one-minute walk of a public parking garage. So what we're doing is not to save people much time, but to save a handful of people a minute or two or, or of, uh, of walking and four or five dollars of uh, parking. We delay the people who take this bus, mainly low-income and minorities, by a minute or two or three each uh, each day. And so economists have a term for this that I threw in there just because I learned this term and I've never been able to use it before in my life. It's called lexicographic preferences. It's when you prefer a little, little bit of one thing over a lot of another thing. And so the city has evinced a lexicographic preference for parking spaces over mass transit. We're willing to sacrifice of time for tens of thousands of people to save a handful of drivers that same amount of time. To hear your story here, it sounds like you're saying that transit is undervalued in a way. It is, but it's more than just transit. So, look, you know, as I've said before, sometimes mass transit makes no sense at all. I spent uh, seven years in a small city in Oshkosh, called Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we had uh, two or three bus lines and uh, the buses never had more than one or two people in there. Uh, it just so happened that uh, the congressman at the time was head of the uh, mass transit subcommittee, so we uh, managed to get a lot of money for our bus system. That doesn't make any sense at all. In a very dense city like Washington, D.C., where you have a sizable minority of people who don't actually own an automobile, certain bus routes make a lot of sense and probably are cost-effective, given that the alternative would probably be uh, a lot more congestion and uh, a lot more other uh, negative externalities. Um, the other problem with our current system is we've created a, an environment where all these people bitterly fight every new housing development in Washington, D.C., in our neighborhood, because they don't want those people to bring cars and challenge their own uh, parking, uh, on-street parking. And so the, the example I give in this, uh, in this article is that there's a development going on in the neighborhood just uh, east of mine called Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant is uh, a middle-income, largely Hispanic neighborhood. Somebody was going to put up a... Uh, a seven-story building, 180 units, uh, some two- and three-bedrooms, so this is for families. Uh, some <clears throat> neighborhood activists, and about 20% of the population of Washington, D.C. considers themselves activists, found out that um, this building would have to have a, a parking garage underneath. You know, no big deal in and of itself. That's how <clears throat> the rules are. But in order for people to get to that parking spot, they were going to have to uh, remove some curbside so those people can actually you have a driveway to get in and out. And people objected to this 
this whole development for 180 families because they didn't want to lose the two on-street parking spaces. Uh, I submit to you, and I submitted in this article, that this is a sign of a system that's seriously out of whack. If we're looking for a market-based solution to this problem, uh, it sounds like you're saying we should be charging market rates for parking in cities? That's right. Absolutely. Uh, look, we've economists have become very good at thinking about how to auction public goods. I mean, look at how we auction the, uh, the uh, bandwidth. Uh, uh, the FC, by the FCC, look how we auction um, drilling rights in uh, not only on public lands but in uh, uh, offshore. Uh, we've we've kind of figured this out, and so auctioning 300 parking spots in Adams Morgan or another uh, residential neighborhood isn't that complicated. You would do a, probably something which you'd call a Vickery auction. You just have everybody bid and. Uh, if there are 300 spots, whatever the 300th bidder bids, that's the price that everybody pays, and everybody else has to figure out to, what to do with their car other than park it on the street. This would have all kinds of benefits uh, for business as well. Uh, a lot of people just won't drive into uh, Adams Morgan because parking is uh, simply impossible on uh, on most nights and weekends. So we probably have an uptick in business. We probably have, for those of us who live in the neighborhood, that would probably result in uh, more restaurants, more bars, uh, more options. This would be an altogether good economic outcome. Ike Brannon is a visiting fellow at the Cato Institute. His new article is in the current issue of Regulation Magazine. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.